Hi guys, my name is Cameron Hawkins. I host the South Congress podcast. You might know me from the Pro Wrestling Torch East Coast cast, uh, which I co-host with host Travis Bryant. Or you may have heard me on the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling podcast a few times over the last year. I reached out to Wade recently about doing a new show. Um, I think the Torch does a great job of covering the day-by-day aspects of wrestling and um, a great job covering the actual history of wrestling. I wanted to produce something that was a bit different, something that I don't think really exists in the wrestling podcast space. That's how I came up with You, Me, and Wrestling. Um, I sent out a Google form and had people fill out a questionnaire, basically. It covered things like your favorite era in wrestling, um, your favorite wrestlers and least favorite wrestlers and acts of that time, what wrestler you thought could prosper in any era, um, what of a a select group of wrestlers you thought could actually wrestle at any time, kind of how we talk about guys like Jordan or LeBron being able to play in any era or guys like, you know, Ray Lewis and Ladanian Tomlinson being able to play in any era. Um, I asked about some of people's favorite events in wrestling. And I also asked them about, you know, their viewing patterns. Like if they had the choice, would they go and see the highest rated match of the year or would they go and see the main event of the highest grossing match of the year? I think that what really interests me is the why in wrestling, why we latch on to certain acts, why we appreciate certain promotions, and to kind of use that to get a feel for viewing patterns going forward, for acts that could be successful going forward. So again, this is the first episode of You, Me, and Wrestling. I'm really excited to produce this. Can't wait for your feedback. And um, anybody who wants to participate and actually be a guest on You, Me, and Wrestling, I'll make sure to have information attached um, so that you know we can hopefully build off of some of your ideas as well. Um, so thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoy. All right. I want to bring in Josh Mustachio. I've known Josh, gosh, is it is it six years now? If we're if yeah, we time it by WrestleMania, 2011, 2012, yeah, yeah. So Josh and I met um, through uh, through Travis Bryant at the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony in Miami. So was that WrestleMania 28? Yes. All right, and we've really been in touch since then. We've gotten close since then. You and I basically talk every day now. Um, and, and one thing is. You know, as time goes on, schedules change. Um, you don't get to watch, you know, the five, six, seven hours of wrestling every week. I feel like you kind of jump in and out when you can. You pay attention to the big, the big things that go on, but you know, schedules and other things kind of changed your, you know, your viewing pattern, your ability to view every week. Do you feel like you're you're missing out? Do you wish you got to watch more of the current stuff, or are you good with kind of jumping in and out as time goes on? Uh, with, uh, I'd say, you know, working nights now, I don't ever get to watch anything live. You know, I work Sunday through Thursday, so, you know, I miss, I don't really get to see anything live. So, I mean, I get to pick up on the big stuff and I wouldn't say I miss too much because honestly, you know, 10 to 12 hours a week is just a little too much, especially with having three kids. So, but, um, you know, I keep up more with, uh, you know, podcasts and everything. And if something really big happens, you know, a couple guys at work, they watch it on their phones and we'll watch clips and different stuff. But once I miss it as much, but if it gets heated up or getting real good, I, you know, I have any, by all means can watch, watch it. So I can skip commercials. So that's good. <laughs> when we had you fill out the form. Um, and you and I actually, to bring people behind the curtain, we've kind of done this already and issues kind of stopped it from from coming out as a full project. But um, you did say your favorite time and promotion was, um, you know, the 1990s Monday Night Wars, um, WWF specifically um, from somebody who, you know, based on responsibilities, can't watch everything at once back then did you feel the need to see each and everything like did you have to watch every monday night to get that full like two hour feel of everything that was happening well 
<clears throat> when I started watching uh, wrestling, you know, it was probably around 89, 90, and it was Sunday at noon. It was All-American Wrestling on USA, and I was always at my grandma's, usually, at least every other weekend um, when I went to visit my mom, and I thought it was awesome. And then, you know, my grandpa would watch, you know, the stuff on NBC and stuff. And uh, I really felt like Saturday nights at, like, I want to say 11 on Fox, the local Fox, it was uh, WWE Superstars. So I would try my best to stay up and watch that and everything. And uh, by the time, you know, 92 rolled around, 93, when it all started, it was, you know, every Monday night at 9. You know, because I was watching primetime wrestling every week. You know, it's just a recap show. But once we're all started, I was like, man, uh, or my bedtime <laughs> at the time was like 930. Yeah. My dad would say, and I was Mondays, he would let me stay up till 10 to watch Raw. So, I mean, that was, a, you know, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but, yeah, I would say, you know, watching it, um, it was, yeah, I had to watch everything. You know, to, it would get tapes. Me and my brother, my dad would uh, go to the local video store, get six-hour tapes, and put, you know, I think I told you before, uh, we'd put the Royal Rumble match and that year's WrestleMania on one tape so we could just watch six-hour straight <laughs> and not have to worry about taking it out and switching it out and figuring out which one we want to watch next. So. You just let it run, yeah. Yeah. No. So I would say, yeah, I was definitely most uh, couldn't couldn't miss action. I've definitely taped over my mother's Young and the Restless tapes with wrestling and have gotten in trouble <laughs> because of it. So I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I did ask you about your favorite and least favorite wrestlers from the period, and you really had a wide range of favorites, like people who did not do the same thing. You had your three favorites as Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan, and Demolition. Now, if you want to talk about a contrast in styles, like those are just three really, really different styles of wrestling. Like Shawn Michaels was, um, you know, super technical, super sound, super fast, um, could do every single thing in the ring. At this point, he really is going against guys a lot bigger than him. So he's, you know, selling and bumping all over the place. Um, you know, you have Hogan, the big time showman. Um Everything is very deliberate that he does. A lot of it is him playing to the crowd. Um, you know, you have demolition. Um, you have, you know, a real power team, um, the way that they're working over their opponents. So kind of, I think it's great that you have this real mix of styles in your favorites. But just um, outside of what I said, kind of talk about um, what made each of those acts kind of stand out to you and what it was you took away from them at the time that made you a fan. Oh, it, going back to, you know, when you asked me what my favorite time was, you know, and we we joked about a lot of people saying, well, I like 80s WCW, 1990, WWE, Punnett Wars. I also like the, um, just name it four or five, you know. I The reason I like the early 90s WWF at the time so much is because it's really when I really started watching a lot and stuff. And I would say the reason I picked Shawn Michaels was, I like the Rockers, and I thought they were, you know, a great tag team. And then Sean broke off to do his own thing, and when he did his own thing, it was just he was doing stuff that other people in the WWE at the time weren't doing, and it was just awesome seeing seeing him do stuff. And he, was, I thought it was funny, you know, he's young, just doing his own thing. Um, as for Hogan, obviously being a a young boy at the time and watching with my grandfather and everything, just Hulk Hogan was everything at the time. You know, he was the number one guy. He, you know, never lost, always came back, you know? So at the time, you know, yeah, it's, this is who can beat Hulk Hogan, you know, and mm -hmm. my brother's favorite wrestler was ultimate warrior. And, you know, I, my mom got us this pay-per-view and it was the greatest matches of 1990 and we didn't know it was uh, best stuff. We just thought it was matches that were happening. And Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior came on, and we freaked out. Like, can you believe they're about the about the wrestle? We didn't know it was taped from WrestleMania six. <laughs> and uh, you know, I almost started crying when Hulk Hogan lost and Ultimate Warrior won, and my brothers running around 
going crazy. And as for demolition, you know, I, you know, a lot of people hate on demolition and it's fine and everything, but, you know, at the time, you know, I didn't know who the Road Warriors were. You know, they were in AWA and WCW and I barely, you know, WCW was on TBS, but I didn't find it at the time until around 91, 92 and Demolition, when I started watching, were good guys. They teamed with Hulk Hogan, you know, and Jake Roberts at uh, Survivor Series and they were beating everybody, you know, and they were beating down people and then they became bad again at the end of the end of the run but you know for a team that was heels and faces and heels again for three years and were champs for three years you know kind of like anything else you know people like champions you know a lot of people like the yankees i'm not saying demolition of the yankees but you know when you win a lot and do things you know i guess yeah, you see, more of the yankees i think the thing that, that i equate that to like when uh-huh. alabama started to get good like i live in texas you saw mm-hmm. more and more and more Alabama license plates or like yeah. roll tide stickers. And it's like, where, where, where did this come from? This wasn't there before, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so you're right. Like when you have an actor team that, you know, is constantly winning, there's a reason behind it. And whether it's the guy in charge really likes his team or it's actually them picking up that momentum, um, you know, and becoming popular, like it's, you're going to see more people, um, identify with that team and want to support them. So, yeah. Um, I asked you uh, who you disliked at the time, and I thought you gave a really cool answer. Like, you disliked bad guys in general. You were, um, you know, by the books and how the company wants it to go, cheer the good guys, boo the bad guys. Um, but you said, you know, kind of looking back on it, you understood, you understand now that they were just kind of part of the act. They were necessary to get the teams that you did like over. Um so, and, and again, I, I love your answer. Like, you didn't really, when you look back on it, hate any of the bad guys. But you said when you got older, um, <laughs> there were more people that you just tended to dislike. Um, just throw out, and even if it's not from that time period, just, I don't know, two or three names of, of guys you disliked in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And, and don't even explain why. Just give me the names of who you didn't like. I'm going to write that down and we're going to come back to it later. Uh, in the past 10, 15 years, Sloppy Sloppy Joe was one. <laughs> okay. Um, Kevin Owens. I just those two come to mind real fast. Okay. Um, and and the thing back, is, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go, uh, going back, I would always be so mad at Ted DiBiase and Rick Rude, but now looking back, I'm like. Those guys were great. Yeah. You know, they were the ones carrying matches, but I can't say the same about Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about those guys. Uh, we'll come back to that. Um, now, I did ask you about um, your favorite and least favorite uh, on-air personalities and managers at the time. And I thought, you know, it was, it was pretty standard. Bobby the Brain Heenan. We all know the greatness of Bobby the Brain Heenan. And you also said, um, you know, Jesse Ventura. And then, you know, you were a fan of Jimmy Hart. What I want to talk about, you know, you said at the time Slick was a character that you disliked, but yeah. like as an adult, as, as somebody with more of a knowledge of the world and how things work and, and and how people identify with color and race, like now you kind of appreciate more that he changed a white guy into a king the African dream. Like just just take me through the thought process, take me about how that, how that affects you now, thinking about Slick as a character and some of the things that he did. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, you can't you can't talk uh, about it and not laugh like I do. It's what's funny about <laughs> it is slick. I mean, I'm sure in Vince's mind they could have slick come out today. I mean, I'm sure, but it's something you really couldn't do the day. I mean, it was just the jive and all that stuff was just. It's just something I, I would probably cringe at if I saw come on TV today. But like I said, you know, going back and thinking, hey, we got this guy and who can just talk his way out of stuff. And that's what they think, you know, him being the only black manager at the time in the company. And this is how we portray him. I mean, it's just like, you know, 
kind of uh, kind of thing, but I mean, looking back at some of the stuff he did, you laugh at it, but it's more of the times. Uh, I was uh, this week listening to this guy I like to listen to on podcasts. His name is Phil Henry, and he was he took all his um, spots he did on his radio show from the late '90s and early 2000s. He does voices that people don't know when they call in that he's doing the voices of the guests on the show. So they get upset, but he used to do Art Bell things. And since Art Bell passed away this week, he took all his skits and he had one skit where he used the F word about gays. And mm-hmm. this was from 2001. And he said, I apologize for that. You know, after he re listened to it and played, he says, you know, that stuff kind of flew in 2001, at least with the managers at the station, but it mm-hmm. wouldn't fly the day. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think we would, may necessarily get that from some of the people in WWE today. Hopefully they have some people that are doing checks and balances. But, you know. I saw Brodus something interesting today. Brodus did come out in 2000, 2012. Yeah, so. it was pretty recent. I saw something interesting today. Um, and it was something happened at an independent show. And somebody's basically like, you know, there's no place for racism and sexism and bigotry in wrestling and i was like hey i don't i don't do you watch wrestling like do you (laughs) have you have you watched wrestling or been to a wrestling event or watched their wrestling show like in the last decade like of course there's a place for those things they're not okay like they're not decent by any standard but to pretend like they don't exist would be crazy but like you said we're talking about um really an extreme like the things that like a, a slick would do wouldn't fly today, and I think a lot of it is because um, not not only has society changed, but even like you said, we as as somebody who are fans or a product have grown up, like we look at heels different in wrestling now because we appreciate what they what they actually give to the show. So something like you know Brodus Clay at WrestleMania, um, you know we're going. To raise an eyebrow with that just because of things we know and, and we know that everything should be important or entertaining it should be one of the two like i i think you can put something that isn't necessarily classy on a wrestling show and it still contribute if you're trying to show the wrong in it but if you're just doing it to be entertaining and it's not entertaining then you, you look like an idiot because it doesn't play um and kind of speaking of that I asked you about your favorite and least favorite moments from the time period you chose. That your favorite was Shawn Michaels winning his first IC and world titles. Um, and we've, you know, not that we have talked about those things to death, but I think we're very familiar with kind of those experiences, you know, especially the first world title. Um, what I want to ask you about your least favorite moment from that period was when Papa Shango put a spell on the Ultimate Warrior and your dad almost made you stop watching WWF. Please tell me that story. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> at the time, my dad used to be a Jehovah's Witness. So, you know, it was kind of uh, on the line on different things I could watch and different things are going on. And, you know, he didn't care too much that we watch wrestling or anything. And then one day he walked in and saw, you know, undertakers throwing up everywhere and the people are trying to help him and Papa Shango's coming in with his spell thing and you know, he's throwing up throwing up, throwing up. And the next week this might be out of order, but the next week Undertaker's having black ink coming from his hair, going down his face and different things, and you know, the demons are inside of him and everything and I think it just threw my dad a little bit on <laughs> on a different different level of hey i don't think you you know a six and eight year old should be watching this (laughs) (laughs) and you know that was one of the things i mean i you know there's only been a couple things my dad's tried to take away or taken away and the other thing he took away was uh the movie class act with kid and play Mm -hmm. he heard he came in and heard a scene where he said blade brown is a bitch and they're just keep on saying bitch 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 and my dad it's like yeah we're not watching you're not watching this anymore i'm thinking well we've already watched this 27 times 
because this is another thing my dad would just record off of the free free weekend of HBO uh-huh. and, and like I said just at the time you know we went in and out and having cable we had cable during football season so my dad could watch inside the NFL and then once football season was over it was back to <laughs> over the air so but yeah my dad was uh, at the time not too happy with Papa Shango do you think that today the product's adjusted enough to where you could let I mean and your boys are young but you know, has it adjusted enough to where you'd feel com- feel comfortable sitting there letting them run through the full three hours of a Monday Night Raw and not feel like you have to monitor what's going on? Like, has it been, um, you know, adjusted and dialed back so much that, that you could do that? Or do you still kind of have to keep an eye out for things you might not want them to see just yet? I think I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with them watching it. I mean, they they watch you know, different Marvel movies and DC movies that are PG-13. I don't think there's too much. I mean, if they was brought to my attention, I would have to keep an eye on. Chances are, if they're watching, I would be watching it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I don't, you know, there's not going to be too much going on that I think it would be out of the realm of what I was watching when I was five. So, I mean, I don't see people taking fireballs to the face like Sergeant Slaughter did Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, it's definitely not 1998 raw, you know, and how they're acting. You yeah, know, nobody's... that time, I'd probably have to be a little more cautious. Yeah, you're not going to have uh, nobody mud wrestling on the pay-per-view and, and forget their top. Like, that's not, that's not going to pass those checks and balances you talked uh-huh. about. Uh, Let me ask you, um, and you are, you will die on this hill in particular, and we talk about it a lot, and I think it's a pretty good hill to die on. I asked you what's one major event or angle from that period that, if in charge, you would book differently. And one of the thing that you say is probably the most egregious thing that WWE's done, um, and when I say egregious, I mean uh, not so much from a moral standpoint, from, from a from a quarterbacking standpoint, you said you would have Ric Flair wrestle more than one singles match on a pay-per-view in almost two years. And yeah, that's, I don't think most people digest it like that, but that's crazy. Like they had Ric Flair under contract for almost two years and he had one singles match on pay-per-view. Before you tell me, you know, just the criminality of it, it, why do you think that was? What do you think contributed to that? I try to think back and, you know, I've asked Bruce and Wade and I've asked Dave different times, you know, because I've been thinking about this, you know, forever in different things, trying to find out answers. And, you know, Rick came in after SummerSlam 91, you know, Bobby Heenan had Rick Flair's belt and tried to interview Hogan and said, here's the real world champ. The next pay-per-view was Survivor Series. And, you know, that Survivor Series was the first time they ever had a singles match, and that was Hogan and Undertaker. But, you know, Ric Flair was on a captain of a team against Roddy Piper. And then, you know, the next pay-per-view was Royal Rumble. Well, there's no singles matches in Royal Rumble except for the people that aren't in the match or, you know, that maybe IC championship. But, you know, 92's Royal Rumble was for the title. Yeah. You know, and Rick obviously won that. And then Mania... You know, Rick obviously had his one-on-one match with with Macho Man, which, you know, everybody says it should have been Hogan, you know, but everything going on with Hogan at the time, the steroids and everything that it, and they played that match out at the house shows too much and, or whatnot. And then, you know, the worst thing that's, that ever happened was, you know, the next pay-per-view, this was pre-King of the Ring, was SummerSlam, and it was in, you know, you know, the UK and Ric Flair's doesn't even have a match. He's he comes and tries to interfere on in the Ultimate Warrior Macho Man match with Mr. Perfect, and that's all he does on that one. And then you know, Survivor Series the next year is him and Razor versus uh, 
Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior, and then it becomes Macho Man and Mr. Perfect is a warrior. He does Ultimate Warrior things, <laughs> and then the it, then you know, you know his last pay per view was Rumble '93, and he lo- that was his last match in the company. I mean, because they, they taped his loser leaves town match with Mr. Perfect the week before the Rumble on that Raw. So, I mean, just looking back, it's like, you know, some of the pay-per-views were led to, they didn't have singles matches on them, which I understand with Survivor Series and then the Royal Rumble, but it just, it's like you have this big toy and everything going on and you're just like, nah, we're just going to keep it on the shelf. Do you think it was more a situation where if we have Ric Flair under contract, Ric Flair can't beat us in WCW and NWA. So we have him, you know, in-house. Um, we didn't really plan on doing a whole lot with him, but we have him. So, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll showcase our guys, make those guys important, uh-huh. and we'll pay Rick, you know, on the side. And then, you know, so then if he does decide to leave, it's not like he's been you know, at the top of our co- our card while he's been in our company. So, you know, he can't hurt us as much if he chooses to go back. Do you think that had anything to do with it? You know, well, the one thing, at least with the Ric Flair's book and, you know, some of the DVDs he always brings up, uh, Vince had a deal with him that if he wasn't one of the top guys or Flair felt like he wasn't being booked correctly, that he could leave at any time, basically. And that's kind of what happened in 93. Mm-hmm. You know, Vince thought, you know, we're going to go younger. You know, Flair and these guys are a little bit older. We're going to go with some younger guys and you can stay with the company, but this is where we're going. You know, obviously with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, but yeah, I, that's the only thing I could think of. And, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. You know, Vince would buy up town all the time. You know, Bruce on his show this past weekend talked about. Um, Vince would always say, if I had this guy, I'd do this, this, and this. And then he would sign him and not do this, this, and this. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to put it down on paper when it's time to actually execute. It doesn't always come out the right way. Um, I asked you kind of about a viewing pattern. And I asked you, what would you rather see in person? The highest rated main event of the year or the main event of the highest grossing show of the year? Um, you said you'd rather see the main event of the highest grossing show of the year in person. I asked you the same question about what you'd rather see on TV or stream, and you had the same answer. Uh, to you, why would it be more valuable to watch the main event of the biggest show as opposed to the highest rated main event? Um, I think, well, well, when we've recorded this last time, I brought up... Uh, my analogy was, you know, you being a Texas fan and me being a high state fan that earlier in that year when Texas won their national championship, they played, I thought, a better game at Ohio State, Texas, and, you know, beat Ohio State, came in the high state, 100, 106,000 people um, were there at the game, and, you know, high state drops a drops a touchdown, Vince Young comes down and scores, you know, seals the deal, Texas goes on, wins the rest of their games, and then they play USC for the national championship, and they end up winning. And to me, the better game was that high state game for me, because I'm invested more in everything going, but that Vince Young last drive when he scores against USC was the highest rated college football game ever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, you know, you take what you want was, you know, semantics and everything was the USC Texas game better. Yeah. In the long run it was because it was for the national championship, mm-hmm. but football wise, you know, if you have people and you strip everything away, I think the high state Texas game was better because the crowd was bigger, you know, mm-hmm. the atmosphere was earlier in the season. It was just big, big time feel, you yeah. know, and it didn't have any stipulation on it. So for me, it's like, 
I would much rather watch the national championship game every time before I watch the best college football game of the year. I dig it. Because the best college football game could be on a Thursday night at 8 o'clock on ESPN. It could be the UCF versus USF on a Thursday yes. night that goes into triple yes. OT. Yeah, no, I hear you. Definitely, yeah. definitely. But, um, you know, you don't want to miss the national championship game because that's the biggest game. And then, the yeah, and, and there are talking points, um, you know. You get to the water cooler. That's what the news is going to cover. Like the analysis of the main event of the highest grossing show is going to be higher. Like I think that you can make an argument that uh, Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate from NXT Chicago might have been the very best match in WWE last year. Okay, but like um, you know, more people are going to dissect Roman Reigns and the Undertaker from last year. You know, it just because, I mean, historically, it does have more significance. Um, and, and I understand that. Like, I, to be at a show in person, um, I'd probably want to go to the main event of the highest grossing show. Because, I mean, the nature of what I do, that's going to be a bigger talking point. Um, but, I mean, if I'm just watching on TV, I want to watch the Tyler Bate Pete Dunn. Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to see that. Like, I want to be able to, like, talk to my, talk to my, close group of friends about this thing that I'm seeing and recommend it to people on the side. Um, okay, so I think this is going to be the most interesting question that I have on this show going forward. Um, I asked you which of these wrestlers would not make your Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Now, I want to be very clear um, to anybody who's listening. I'm not saying that these four are definitively the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Um, way smarter people than me will create this and and have way more um, a way better explanation of why these people belong. Um, what I've noticed is that you know if you're a wrestling fan of a certain age, like if you're you know maybe under the age of 40, like these are typically the four names that come up and are pulled apart. So um, I asked you which of these four would not make your Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Uh, Rick Flair, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, and John Cena. And you said Rick Flair was the one who would not make your Mount Rushmore. Now, you just made a huge argument about the most egregious thing of the time period you love wrestling was that Ric Flair was not showcased. Um, And both of these things can exist. So why is it that Ric Flair is who would not make the cut for you? Um, Like like I said earlier, you know, uh, I think Ric Flair is great. I think that they really misused him. But I think that also plays into why he's not on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, Hulk Hogan, probably the biggest name in WWE history, one of them, I should say, carried the company, was in the main event of WrestleMania. You know, uh, eight of the nine manias and number and the mania four, he was in the main event in Macho Band's corner. Um, for Stone Cold, you know, he made the most money ever. He was the hottest, you know, during the, the hottest, one of the hottest times. Um, and John Cena, he's been the man for 10 plus years. You know, obviously it's slowing down now, but, you know, Ric Flair was never the man in WWE. Okay. He was the man in WCW, but, you know, the winners write the history and WWE's obviously writes the history whenever it comes to wrestling that, you know, was Ric Flair ever in a main event at WrestleMania? You got a point? Okay. So, I mean, that's where I kind of go on it. Okay. And, and I mean, that, that is perfectly fine. If, um, especially like we have established your, you know, particular era. And if, that's kind of the baseline of that going forward that I, I completely understand why you wouldn't include him in there. Um, I, I just can't wait till I do the show where somebody pulls out like a guy from Mid-South that I've never even heard of. Like, oh, yeah, he should be on there. And then we have to we have to adjust for that. So I asked you who the best wrestler today was. You said Seth Rollins. I asked you the best tag team of today. You said the Usos. Um, and you also said Seth Rollins was your most underrated wrestler today. So um, kind of taking those two acts in, into account, 
what to you makes Seth Rollins the best wrestler today? I <laughs> I think it's well. It's funny is I think he he reminds me of a combination of Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair and a little bit of Triple H. Mm-hmm. He just I think he's the man. I just think he can do a lot of things, and I think he could be uh, doing a lot of things. You know, honestly, when I filled this out, my idea of Seth Rollins at the time was kind of being more of like a Ric Flair, four horseman type of guy, Mm -hmm. you know, where maybe he doesn't win all his matches, but he finds a way to keep a belt, you know, and goes on from there and, you know, just... Everybody just kind of hates him. Yeah, gets to the point where I, I just want to see him lose, and I think that could be Seth Rollins. He just, I think he's, I, I think he's awesome. I His think that, uh, awesome. I think that that SummerSlam match with John Cena was kind of the culmination of Seth Rollins. It was like to me when I start to evaluate like best wrestler. Like you and I have talked about this. I'm a, I'm a Bret Hart guy. I'm a Kurt Hennig guy. Just. When you have that that size to where you look credible in the ring with smaller wrestlers and larger wrestlers, um, and, and you know it's that Shawn Michaels thing of where you're strong and you're fast and you're so technically sound, you can really do everything in the ring. Um, I, I don't know if I definitively say like Seth Rollins is the best wrestler today um, because you know just ebbs and flows, things change. But I don't know of anybody who has more of the tools I think should be included in making that, that decision. Like if we take out the best wrestler is who makes the most money because that, then this becomes no fun. But as far as somebody who can do the talking, as far as somebody who can get in the ring and and do the wrestling, like you said, he has that Ric Flair ability to, you know, if he has to wrestle an hour, you feel like he could do it. Um, when we originally filled this out, it was bef- uh, way before that week before Elimination Chamber where they have him run the gauntlet match and he's just doing every single thing you can think of to showcase how good he is. I think, um, yeah, you, I don't know who you put next to him to say they check off all the boxes like he does because just, just all the things you would want in your main event wrestler, I, I just feel like he has them all. Um, I... If if anybody's listened to me on the East Coast cast, if you've heard me on uh, with Wade Keller, you know what I think of the Usos. And I could just gush over them every week. And so I'll step back. Josh, why do you think the Usos are the best tag team today? Uh, I just think that they, they have a lot of the it factor. They work well together, obviously. They just have a cool factor, you know. They they're cool, real. They're just you know, they're a tag team. You know, they're not manufactured. They're not you know put together. They're not slapped together. They're just they're a tag team, and that's what you know. I think today you don't see as much as you used to. Like I said, you know, when I like demolition and. In the 80s, late 80s wrestling, you know, those tag teams were tag teams. They wore the same outfits. They, that's what their job was, you know. And not to say that Jimmy and Jay can't ever be singles wrestlers, but, you know, they kind of have, you know, Road Warriors written on them. You know, the Road Warriors could do singles, but they never really lived up to what they were as tag teams. And I think the Usos for better or for worse will always be just tag team wrestlers. And there's nothing wrong with that. And they just, like I said, they're just, they're what people are today. Mm -hmm. And they, they're just, they're not, I don't know how that, I don't know how to explain it. They're just real. And if you if you know what that is, you know what it is. Yeah, that, yeah. that that's kind of the key thing about him. Like, you know, real recognize real. Like uh-huh. you, I think as, if you listen to a certain type of music, if you have a certain type of friends, um, and if you just, you know, if you live in 
again, you and I talk all the time. So like you're familiar with the ideas and concepts and movements of me and my friends. Like if if the Usos weren't authentic, it wouldn't resonate with people like me. Like I like crime time. I wanted crime time to succeed because I'm rooting for everybody black. Like I, this is just what it is. Uh-huh. But I understood that crime time was, you know, the act is a caricature of real people. You know, the Usos are, even though they have some, like there's going to be some gimmick to it because it's wrestling. You got to do things to sell shirts. But the way the attitude is presented, um, the way that translates to what they do in the ring, like it, it just, it's real. It's genuine. That, that's real emotion and thought and lifestyle. And you com- when you combine that with how good they are together, um, that it just makes them the best tag team going because they just uh, it's a it's a feel it's a vibe that you just have to know and and you have to have been around to understand. But on top of that, um, I forget where they did a show, but it was somewhere where a lot of people like that don't exist, and they came out and the crowd was just super into them because. Whether or not it's something that you know, whether or not it's something that you live, when the people presenting it are that down for it, are that into what they're doing, um, and, and really do everything they can to push out the emotion and ideals that their character are behind, I think people just have to latch onto it, and, and that's why they get the reaction that they do. Um as far as Seth Rollins being overrated, I don't think we really need to dive into that because it's like you said, yeah. it just seems like he can do everything. And the fact that people don't appreciate everything that he can do makes him underrated. Like it just, yeah. Under, yeah. Okay. I was about to say, he's not overrated. Yeah, yeah. He's just definitely underrated. Way, way underrated. Um, mean, we know who the overrated guy is. So yeah. Is, so you said Kevin Owens is the most overrated wrestler today. Now, before, before you go, let me say this. I think that Kevin Owens wrestling is super credible. I think that he is a different kind of power wrestler um, because he's not, you know, your your vascular with abs, lift guys over my head power wrestler, but every power move he can do. I think on the microphone, he's fantastic. I think he him being a snotty, selfish heel is just amazing. I loved when he first got to the main roster and it was about, you know, his beef with John Cena was that Kevin Owens has worked hard day after day after day, year after year, applied his craft, has had to fight through the notion that his body type would never be successful. He did all that for his kid to say how much he loves John Cena. And so he needed to beat John Cena to prove to his kid that he mattered. Like, that's that's a fantastic story to me. So me pouring my, my heart out to you about how much I love Kevin Owens, please, Josh, tell me why Kevin Owens is overrated. To be fair, I wrote this six months ago or whatever. <laughs> okay. But, but to go back, overrated is overrated. Crap is crap. I don't, I don't know how. I just, it's like Samoa Joe. Not the the look and everything is not there. It's just about a believable thing and everything. And when he says he had to work and do all this stuff, it's a nice heel thing to do. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it's not believable. You know, if he, if he said that to you know, if he said that whole thing about Roman Reigns, it'd be more believable. To act like John Cena didn't work hard to get where he's at is kind of a joke to me. Well, that, that's not what it is. He's not saying John Cena didn't work hard. He's saying, I worked hard as well, so like me, you're dead. Who feeds you? I understand that. <laughs> it, it does not, it's not like, he said, I had to work hard, do this, and go like, you, you say that to people that didn't work hard. Okay. You say that to the five-star, six-six Josh Allen. <laughs> you know, you say that to him that, you know, you're going to be the number one pick and we don't care what you did. You know, Josh Allen and Roman Reigns, that's who you say that to. You know, the chosen ones. You know, you don't say that to the guy who was almost fired, but luckily did a vanilla ice skit on an airplane and, 
you know, and next thing you know, that was that. And he starts going and doing stuff, you know. It's easy to say a lot of things are given to you after you earned it. But, you know, it. don't get me wrong, you know, he's he's not the worst wrestler in he's WWF. Not the, he, he's not the worst he's wrestler? Not, he's not the worst and he's <laughs> not, you know, but he's definitely the most overrated to me. You know, it's not, I don't, I wouldn't say he doesn't deserve to be there because, you know, he did a lot of good work and different stuff, but it's just, it's, it's just not it, you know, it's just, sorry. It just, take a seat, you know, you're, he's, you can get some main event matches, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of hours on WWE program, but, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like it, he should be treated kind of like how they treat Dean Ambrose. To be honest, you're you're an IC US title level guy, you know. Wow. I just uh, hey, okay, and so that leads hey. into this next thing pretty well. I said, if your money's on the line, who are you starting a wrestling promotion with today? And you said John Cena. Now, I, uh, I don't know if you've seen John Cena wrestle the last six months, um, but. Uh, John Cena in year, ooh, what are we? Are we in year 15, 16? Uh-huh. Um, John Cena in, you know, 40-year-old John Cena, um, who definitely still has an amazing physique, um, is going to give you a serviceable match, is the most recognizable face in wrestling right now. Um, I'm, I'm laying out all the reasons that you should start a promotion with him, but what outside of those things, if anything else, makes you say, this is the guy I'd go with if I'm starting a promotion right now. He's just, he, he's likable, obviously. You know, if I'm starting a promotion, it's just, I look at him kind of like LeBron. You know, there are they are older, but you're still, you're not passing that up for sure, the for sureness. Obviously, again, when I wrote that, he was just coming off the, I think it was uh, a little bit just coming off that U.S. US uh, challenge, the U.S. title challenge, where he was challenging people, and he had that good run of uh, matches and everything with just secondary people, per se, you know. He wasn't in the, going for the world title or anything like that and whatnot. Um, but yeah, if you ask me who my money was and looking back on how I can make some and do it, you know, I think John Cena is the safe bet. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like you're, um, yeah, I feel like your next answer is right in line with that. Um, you know, who I said, who in history, you got to choose, you know, anybody to start a promotion with in wrestling. Um, you said Hulk Hogan, and I'm assuming it's for pretty much the same reasons as you go with a John Cena. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, when you live through, when you live through it as a young guy and just the t-shirt—I mean, the plain yellow t-shirt—you know, it, you know, Hogan only had really one or two t-shirts. Hulk rolls and Hulk Hogan—I mean, Hulkamania, I guess it's like it's amazing, you know. And uh, money-wise, obviously not. Looking back, I want to take eight eighty-eight, eighty-nine Hogan, not. 2005 <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah but I mean uh, that's that's where it goes truth be told uh, when I asked you to review uh, review the, the answers I saw one of the person's answers and let's just say I can't wait till I hear that podcast okay somebody yeah. well, well, yes there was there was some that I had and I'm like that's who you would pick the last in any era. And I'm thinking he couldn't even make it in certain area areas that he was wrestling in. So touche. Okay. So no, and, and to jump to that one, um, I did ask, uh, what wrestler currently on one of the big three rosters. Um, so WWE, NXT, new Japan or impact would fit in any era. And you said John Cena. And my thing yeah. kind of is, I'm assuming that you mean, John Cena from the day that he was drafted to Raw going forward. Like that oh, character I, yeah. of John Cena. I'm thinking John Cena, you know, uh, 2010, 
2012. Yeah, that one could go into the 80s. He could go into the Attitude Era. There wasn't a time that John Cena couldn't, you know, do something. Yeah. You know, John Cena definitely, you know, Attitude Era, he could do his chain game kind of thing if you if you needed it you know if that's you know he isn't doing the make a wish type of thing he could do the make a wish in the 80s for sure i mean he he had the look you know and his matches you know like you said his matches were definitely more than serviceable from you know from 2010 on i think mm-hmm. you know so i mean could he I think he would have a tough time maybe in world class or something like that, you know, but I don't think they would be turning him away. They look at him and say, I think they would say, Jesus, let's get this guy in the ring, you know, warlord and those guys were. <laughs> yeah, warlord. You know, you know yeah, what's interesting I mean, though? Um, like the, your guy who's super overrated, Kevin Owens, um, that was kind of the turn of, you know, John Cena's putting on these, four plus star matches like uh-huh. he could definitely do it i think with him it was just kind of a kind of a motivation thing like if if they don't need me to put on these crazy matches with these great moves like why do it if this thing is working but clearly he has the ability to do that even if he found that a bit later in his career you got to assume a, a younger more athletic john cena you know with less uh less uh holes on that bump card you know, you got to feel like he might be able to, you know, keep up, you know, with those work rate promotions. Because, again, we've seen him do it in, you know, 2016. We got to watch John Cena put on some of the most athletic matches of his career. So it's definitely something that could be done. Um, my, my only cri- uh, criticism would be, you know, he's not going to be able to wear jorts in, in 78 in a promotion. But, you know, that that's kind of the only thing. John Cena yeah, dressed he, like... Uh, he, would have to, he would just have to wear jeans. He would just wear his Lees. He's wearing his Lee jeans and elbow pads. Um, so let, let's get one more thing out of here. You know, I did ask you about, um, you know, some topics, matches or angles you wanted to talk about. Um, I want you to give me a short oral history of ECW Heatwave 98. Um, that was kind of the the big event that you put down um, on this uh-huh. list as, as kind of your quintessential wrestling experience um like like you and i went to wrestlemania 28 and 29 um you talked about raw november of 1998 but but ecw heatwave 98 please just uh set the scene for me and kind of give me your oral history of that night okay um i'll start off with i was 14 years old and (laughs) And I was asking my stepfather, could I go to this pay-per-view? It was the closest pay-per-view that I could go to that I felt was the cheapest. And, it, you know, to um, let you know, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and the pay-per-view was in Dayton, which is, you know, a little less than an hour away, maybe an hour, depending on where you were. And my stepfather said... You know, it's a Sunday night where it's football season, but we don't have football on Sunday night. It's like, okay, you know, we, you can go there, you know, you just got to wake up for, you know, two days the next day or whatever, and it doesn't matter. So me and my best friend, Brian, end up going to the show. And, you know, we go and go to get tickets. And my stepdad, he said, uh, I'll take your two best available. She said, that'll be $500. And he says, well, I'll take your best available for this price <laughs> and because uh, he ended up buying the tickets he didn't you know he was going to buy two tickets and and then we got the $25 like kind of general mission type of seating um, then you know my mom and stepfather drove us to Dayton we went to the show she gave me 20 bucks for a shirt ended up not getting a shirt just getting food and different things because there was nothing I could buy that I could wear to school or anything so and my mom kind of had a little idea what ECW was, but not to the full extent. Um, it was just, you know, for a 14-year-old kid in 1998, it was just the best thing. You know, Al Snow comes out before the pay-per-view, and, you know, 
all these ECW wrestlers that I watched on TV. And the hardest thing about watching ECW at the time, it wasn't on cable. So I had to go into the kitchen to watch it because it was the only room in the house that we didn't have cable hooked up to. And we had an antenna and it was on a UHF channel 64 station at two, sometimes three in the morning on Saturdays. So I would just sleep and wake up and make sure I watch it. And it was just, there was nothing on this channel 64. They played, you know, a couple times a day they would play Cosby but they would really not have anything on it. And my friend found the ECW and said, Josh, you got to watch this. And we watched it, and it just was the greatest thing. We thought these guys were the best wrestlers. They just beat the crap out of each other. And, you know, for us, they were heroes. You know, they were, they were, you know, guys that WWE was too scared to use because they were just used frying pans and steel <laughs> chairs and you know and then we go to the show and you know looking back you know at the time i didn't realize some of these wrestlers who they were and looking back it's like everything i can't believe you saw him can't believe because you know paul Heyman would bring in these japanese guys and you know and that you know americans didn't see all the time but they were be one-offs you know they weren't on the ecw shows but they were on the ecw pay-per-views and you know starting from match one to the very end you know you start with jerry lynn and or just incredible and just having it and then going to taz and bam bam going through the ramp and you know ending with the deadlies versus you know tommy dreamer sandman and and spike it just it was just an awesome show you know and that's you know for me it will probably be the best pay-per-view experience just because of the time and the age i was and it was just you know if you have a chance i would just uh, get on your wwe network and give heatwave 98 a shot it's uh a little sad seeing who's in it and who's dead now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and, and seeing some of the stuff they did in the match probably led to to that, to be honest. You know, some of the chair shots, uh, a Mike Awesome match, you'll probably cringe at a little bit, but uh Yeah. It's it's definitely uh well well worth a watch. I know you watched it before we were gonna do this originally. Mm-hmm. He live you know, if you wanna go back six months to Cam's tweets 10,000 tweets ago it was uh, <laughs> he live tweeted it you know uh, you don't you know you have to go through you know the million retweets about you know venom on his porn hub <laughs> no yeah but that was um yeah i definitely wanted to do my research before we talked about it and it is a bit of a tough watch i mean it's you know it's 20 years ago now but you know you kind of see the things that you know you can't do in wrestling anymore and how many of those things were done you know at the time and and just to know what contributed to you know people having to leave maybe before their time it's it's a bit of a tough watch um but what we don't want to do is in this on a sour note. Um, Josh, I do thank you for being uh, my first guest on this show, hopefully the first of many. Before we get out of here, um, any any lasting words, lasting impression, lasting idea or phrase you want to say about your favorite time in wrestling? I would say, you know, uh, your favorite time... And why why early nineties WWE is my favorite time and I still like to go back and watch stuff is I didn't know what was going on as much as I do now or in the few as I did in the past going leading up to it and it was just a simpler time. And sometimes I would say not to undercut, you know, Wade and all of them because I think the best thing Wade's done now is going just straight to opinion and not breaking breaking news is Sometimes you just have to sit back and just enjoy it mm-hmm. and watch what's going to happen. And if you do that, I think you will enjoy the product a lot more than just bitching and trying to figure out what's going to happen next. Just let it come to you. Don't make, don't force, don't force it. Kind of like trying to go out and find your mate, you know, just, uh, there was a guy, his name was peanut. If you just act like <laughs> no one likes you, and when someone does like you, just be surprised. <laughs> Something along those lines. I but got you. Yeah, that's 
that's basically all, all I really have is I, I appreciate you letting me be your be your first guest and doing this and you know it was fun the second time around I think we kind of cut down on about 20 minutes or <laughs> exactly exactly so it's good test run the six months ago but I think you'll do fine and I'm really looking forward to see what other people have to say about their Mount Rushmore's and different kind of answers I think it's going to be really cool that you'll have uh, some type of the sort sort of the same questions and seeing what how different people feel and kind of lining them up with how it goes through this uh series you're going to be doing agreed man agreed all right well this has been you me and wrestling i'm cameron hawkins i want to thank my first guest josh mustachio for participating and we'll talk to you guys later